Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Father, this morning we stand in awe of you. You are magnificent. You are powerful. You are wonderful. You are incomparable. Father, there is no one like you in heaven and on earth. You are beautiful beyond description. You are the creator of the universe. And yet you call us friends. Father, we're in awe of your love this morning. We are in deep gratitude for your grace. We are thankful for your mercy. And what can we do today but worship? Bow our lives and our hearts, all that we are and all that we have and lay it before you and say, God, you are worthy. You are worthy of love. You are worthy of adoration. You are worthy of our gratitude. You are worthy of our thanks. You are worthy of our surrender. You are worthy of everything we can give. Father, we we just declare it with our hearts united today and with one voice and with one heart. You are worthy. You alone are worthy to receive honor and glory and power and praise. You and you alone are worthy. And we exalt you this morning. We lift you up in this place. We lift you up in our hearts. We lift you up in our lives. We say there is indeed none like you. And it is our delight, our pleasure, and our honor, Father, this morning to give you the glory that you deserve. And we want to thank you for your presence with us here today. Thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. Thank you for the assurance that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And I pray, Father, in this moment that you would help us to just be so conscious of that nearness, to be so aware of your your intimacy presence this morning with us. And Father, to be able to receive from what it is you want to impart to us today, I want to thank you that we can never get to the end of knowing you, never get to the end of discovering who you are. And I know that this morning you wanted to impart something fresh from your heart to us. I pray that you open our eyes to see you for who you truly are. Open our hearts to understand you for who you truly are, Father. And grant every one of us the grace to receive what it is you are wanting to impart to us today so that we can know you more deeply and walk with you more closely. And Father, we ask all of these things this morning in the precious, wonderful, powerful name of your Son, Jesus. And everyone who agrees said, Amen, Amen. Fantastic. God bless you, beautiful people. Hey, before you grab a seat, why don't you take a moment to turn to some people around you? Yep, that was a quick that was a quick sit down, man. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Take 30 seconds to uh, say good day to at least three or four people around you. Share out some uh, hugs, some high fives, some handshakes. <laughs> if you meet someone new, invite them to lunch. Fantastic. Well, it's so good to be together again, isn't it? It's a a wonderful, gorgeous Sunday spring morning. 
And uh, always a delight to be up in your beautiful part of the world and to spend time with you. So thank you so much again for the invitation. And uh, indeed, if you are here today for the very first time, just want to add my welcome and say it's great to have you here this morning. Hope you feel at home. Hope you feel welcome. Hope you feel relaxed. And uh, we're delighted to have you here today. Uh, anybody manage to get grand final tickets? Let me see your hands. All right, can I have a chat to you after the service, please? <laughs> I jumped on 30 minutes, right? 30 minutes before the uh, Ticketmaster thing opened, and there was a little button that says, click here to get in the queue. I thought, what? So I click on the button, and they say, there are 30,000 people ahead of you in the queue. I thought, are you kidding me? So I hung around in hope and in faith, uh, but unfortunately, I did not get tickets, so I'll be watching from the couch. But good on you for those of you who did. It's going to be a special day. All right, well, there was a game that we used to play when uh, I was younger. In fact, I've seen some young people play it as well, and you might be familiar with it. It's the game called Would You Rather? And it's a great little icebreaker. You can use it to, like, get conversation going at Connect Group or maybe, like, kick off a fun night at youth or something like that. And how it works is um, somebody throws out a question that contains two options, and you have to choose between the two options, but the choice is not always that obvious, and sometimes both options are quite undesirable. So, for example, I might say to you, would you rather be half your height or double your weight? Or maybe I might ask, would you rather have a million dollars now or $20,000 every month for the rest of your life? $20,000, what, you an accountant? Did you work it out? <laughs> Which is better? Uh, sometimes the uh, choices might be uh, slightly less desirable and somewhat extreme. Like, would you rather eat somebody else's vomit or have your nails pulled out with a pair of pliers? <laughs> All right, so you get the idea, right? Would you rather? Now, I have, a, I have a couple of would-you-rather scenarios that I'd like to put out today, but I reckon that the, the choice between these two options is pretty obvious. All right, so have a look at this guy on screen. How many of you recognize this guy on screen? Can you tell me who he is? Mr. Hugh Jackman. All right, so here you go. Would you rather, would you rather have an autographed photograph of Hugh Jackman or a three-hour dinner date with Hugh Jackman? Ask, ask, ask the person next. Go ahead, ask the person next to you. I know what all the ladies are thinking. All the ladies are thinking, I know what I'm taking. Give me some of that right now, okay? Some of the guys are thinking, now I'll take the photograph because I can vlog it on Gumtree for $200, right? <laughs> okay. Or what about this one? Young people will appreciate this. Anybody know who this is? Ariana Grande. All right. Would you rather have a personalized video message from Ariana Grande? or a two-hour backstage tour at her next concert conducted by Ariana Grande herself? What do you reckon? Option number two, hands down, right? Certainly, if you're asking me, I'd be, yeah, I'd love to meet her in person, right? Or what about this? For those of you who are football players, you'd have to be a football player or lover to understand this, right? Who's this guy on screen? Recently moved to Man United. <laughs> Come on, right? Yes, that's football, mate. That's the original football. And... Um, Come on, come on, no, her no heresy, yeah, please. Um, so would you rather, would you rather, football fans, would you rather have Cristiano Ronaldo's boots, or would you rather have a three-hour personalized training session with a man himself? Option number two, right? Option number two, hands down, if you're a football player. If you're not a football player, you would take the boots and you would settle on eBay for $3,000, right? But, but hands down, there is something irreplaceable and something preferable about 
being in somebody's personal space, meeting them up close and personal, going eye to eye, heart to heart, person to person. There's something about that that you just cannot substitute, right? It's like, imagine you came to church on Sunday and we said, uh, all right, we're going to take a moment to uh, catch up with Tim Phipps. And uh, whoever was hosting the meeting said, all right, let's uh, have a look. And so Tim Phipps's Facebook page comes up on screen and uh, they just kind of scroll through his Facebook page and say, all right, where did he check in? Who's he been talking to? Has he posted any articles? What did he like? What did he share? And for five minutes, you just kind of scroll through Tim's page. I'm pretty lame, right? That's what we did on Sunday morning or, or Friday night. But the great thing about church is when you come together, Tim's actually here. I'm picking on Tim because I know he's like a you know, significant part of life here in the church. And he's here. You can meet him. You can go and ask him yourself how his week was. You can, you can ask him to pray for you. You can offer to pray for him. You can buy him coffee. You can try and persuade him to buy you coffee. But the point is you can actually see him and connect with him and talk with him, right? That's way better. Now, like, like I have, uh, this is my Bible. I have my Bible here. I've had this Bible for 25 years, right? As you can see, it's a little kind of, it's a little worse for wear because um, I, have, I have used it often. So the pages are coming out. That's, uh, that's the book of Ephesians there, <laughs> all right? This is, uh, this is substantial portion of the New Testament, right? And it's full of like scribbles and notes and uh, um, uh, food stains and coffee stains and tear stains because I've lived inside of this book and I love this book. This is such an incredibly wonderful gift from God. But you know that in a lot of ways, the Bible is kind of like God's Facebook page. Now, I don't say that irreverently because I believe in the authority and the inspiration of the Word of God. But in a lot of ways, this is like God's Facebook page. Now, you can tell a lot about somebody by just going onto their Facebook page and scrolling through it. You can tell what they like, what they value, where they've been, who they're friends with. Uh, you can tell a bit about their life story. You can get to know a lot about someone without actually even meeting them. You can go onto my wife's Facebook page. You can, you can learn a lot about who she is, where she's from, where she was born, what she likes, what she looks like. You can get to know a little bit about her without actually ever meeting her. But can you really say you know her until you've actually met her? And build some relationship with her? No. And so a lot, of, a lot of what we can discover about God, we can discover from the Word of God. And the Word of God is a wonderful gift from God, but it's not a substitute for God. Right? Now, the Bible has multiple purposes. But the primary purpose of the Bible is to lead us into a faith-based, trust-based relationship characterized by dependency on and intimacy with and obedience to God Himself. See, having a Bible but not having a personal relationship with God is like walking away from your wedding with your photo album but not your spouse. Like, what's the point, <laughs> right? Now, the good news is that as wonderful as this gift is, this is not the only gift that God has given us. God has given us another gift. It is a potentially, in fact, not potentially, it is a life-changing gift, and it is the gift of Himself. God has given us the gift of His own person, and Jesus talks about this gift in John chapter 14, just prior to His ascension into heaven. So Jesus knows he is going to the cross. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be resurrected. 
And he knows that he's going to return to the Father, and his disciples are going to experience a significant period of uncertainty and confusion and disorientation. And once he goes, they're going to have to figure out how to live out their devotion to him in this, in this new kind of dispensation without him around. So Jesus wants to comfort them with words of assurance. And in verse 16 to 18 of John 14, it says, now Jesus speaking, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper a comforter, an encourager, an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Right? So Jesus, knowing what his disciples are about to experience and what they are about to endure, speaks these words of comfort and assurance, and he says to them, listen, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you like orphans in the world. I am going to send the comforter. I am going to send the helper, and he is going to be not only with you, but he is going to be in you, and he will be in you forever. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am going to send my spirit and he will take up permanent residence inside of your life, and he will be there to comfort and to guide and to lead and to instruct and to assure and to, and to um, protect in whatever it is that you're going to face. And friends, this is one of the wonderful things about becoming a follower of Jesus is when you put your faith and trust in him, when you step into the reality of that relationship, that trust-based, faith-based relationship with God, a relationship characterized by intimacy with Him and dependency on Him and obedience to Him. Guess what? God pours Himself into your life. God literally fills you with His own person and His own presence. In fact, the Bible says your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. God comes to take up residence inside of you, and He doesn't blow in for a day and then blow out. It's not like He's here today, gone tomorrow. He is with you, and He is in you, and permanently so. You have an abiding presence of the person of God. What an incredible gift. And so Jesus says to His disciples, I am going to give you this assurance, and I'm going to give you this promise, and I'm going to give you this gift, and He does. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, when they were all gathered in one accord in the upper room, 120 disciples, the Bible says they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind go through the room, and tongues of fire appeared upon their heads, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit was poured out from heaven in a brand new, fresh way. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in languages they had never spoken before. They came bursting out of that upper room onto the streets of Jerusalem and began to boldly proclaim the good news of all that God had done in and through the person of Jesus. And ever since that day, God has not turned off the taps. God is continuing to pour out His Holy Spirit into people who express their faith and trust in Jesus to fill them and empower them and presence Himself with them. What an incredible gift. Now, there's a couple of things I want to just say as uh, foundational thoughts, if you like, in reference to what uh, Jesus says here in John chapter 14. And the first thing I want to just simply say is note the use of the personal pronoun, He. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a person. The word he does not denote gender. It just denotes personhood. He is a person. Uh, he is the, the third person of the Trinity. And when I say third, I don't mean that hierarchical in the sense that the Father is better than the Son and the Son is better than the Spirit. Third just simply denotes 
difference or, or distinguishableness, if you like. That's not a word, so it's a, um, a, a difference, right? It's, it's a different person. But he is God. The Holy Spirit is nothing less than God's own person. The Holy Spirit is not a power. He's not a force. He's not a kind of cosmological energy floating about in the ether, holding everything together. God's Holy Spirit is nothing less than God himself, God's own person. And the reason why it's so important for us to see that is because at the very heart of Christian faith and Christian experience is a relationship. There's this relational element to Christian faith. In other words, if you want to experience the reality of God, get ready for a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because it is the Holy Spirit who takes the, the theory in your theology and makes it reality in your spirituality. It is the Holy Spirit who makes the reality of God reality in our lives. And at the heart of Christian faith is this relational reality. Christianity, friends, is not just about subscribing to a certain you know, set of creeds. It's not just about giving your allegiance to a certain set of propositional truths about who God is. It's not giving intellectual or mental assent to, to certain statements of faith. At the very heart of Christian faith is a real, experiential, personal relationship with the living God who is knowable, who is relatable, who is personal, a God who thinks and a God who feels and a God who loves and a God who grieves and a God who rejoices and a God who sorrows and a God who speaks and a God who listens. Christianity is not an ideology. It's not a philosophy. It's not a religion. It is a relationship with the living God. And so the Holy Spirit is the person of God. And the second thing that I want to emphasize is that the Holy Spirit, as the person of God, is the agent of God's presence and power in the world. In other words, God does not do anything in the earth realm other than by His Holy Spirit. In this current age and dispensation in which we live, if anything happens in the world, if revelation is imparted, if a body gets healed, if a soul gets saved, it is God the Holy Spirit at work. God the Holy Spirit is the agent of God's presence and power in the world, and gosh, do we need that presence and that power, right? If the first century church needed the presence and the power of God through the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission of God, how many of you know we need that same presence and that same power in the 21st century? What makes us think that we can fulfill the mission given to us by Jesus without the power of God? We need His presence and we need His power because there is an inextricable link between power and effectiveness. And if you don't believe me, next time you have to mow your lawn, just go out onto the grass, push your mower onto the grass, and before you switch it on or plug, in it, plug it in, just push it around on the lawn for a while. And you'll very quickly realize, right, there's this connection between effectiveness and adequate power. Right, but, but fire that lawnmower up, plug it in or turn it on, and all of a sudden you'll realize how much power raises your level of effectiveness. And that you can be very active without being effective. So what is going to make us effective in outworking the mission and the ministry of Jesus as given to us in the Great Commission as the church? I'll tell you what, it's going to be His presence and His power. It makes all the difference in the world. And so the Holy Spirit is the agent of God's presence and God's power. And He makes the reality of God reality in our lives. Um, a couple of years ago, I was back in South Africa, back when we were able to fly. And uh, we went back to visit family. 
And uh, while I was there, I was invited to preach at a church that's pastored by a friend of mine. And uh, I said, yep, sure, I'll do that while I'm in town. And, and they, had, uh, they had four services. So they had a Saturday night, two Sunday mornings, and a Sunday night. And so I was preaching at the Saturday night service, and I'm preaching on the love of God. And I'm just sharing the basic truth of the gospel. And at the end of the message, um, I felt prompted by God to just invite people to have opportunity to respond and, and, and say yes to the call to follow Jesus and open their hearts to his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. So I'm praying for people. People have got their hands up. And while I'm busy praying, I feel like God, by his Holy Spirit, speaks to me. And he says to me, there's somebody here in the room who wants to raise their hand, who has not raised their hand. They're feeling reluctant. They're feeling hesitant. They know they want to do it. And her name is Jennifer. Now, that doesn't happen often to me, but I felt very clearly like this is God speaking. So in the middle of this prayer moment, I just simply say, just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. I'm just feeling God saying right now, like there's somebody here in the room who's feeling really hesitant and reluctant about raising their hand and saying yes to God, but he knows that and he knows you and your name is Jennifer. And so go ahead and raise your hand and be part of this moment. So I look across the room, no more hands go up. And I'm, I'm so fully convinced I've heard from God. I'm like, Jennifer, where are you? Just raise your hand, show me where you are. No hands, <laughs> right? So then you start thinking in a moment like that, oops, maybe I heard wrong. And then you, the temptation is to say, well, is there anyone here who has a sister called Jennifer? <laughs> anyone here with a pet dog called Jennifer? <laughs> like, anyone. But anyway, so no, no hands. So I thought, all right. Um, just disregard that, let's move on. So just carried on facilitating the moment, but thought that just felt really weird because I felt like I'd heard from God. Anyway, the next morning, preached the nine o'clock service, and in between the nine and the 11, a man comes up to me at the end and he says to me, I can I have a chat to you? I said, sure. He said, uh, he said last night, um, my daughter was in the service and uh, she came home really upset. She was really distressed. She was crying. She was quite shaken. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. What happened? He said, no, no, it's all good. Like, it's all good. He said, uh, she's 16 years old. Her name is Jennifer. And she felt like she wanted to respond in that moment, in that decision moment, um, but didn't raise her hand. And when you said what you said, it completely freaked her out. She was terrified. And so she, she, she was even more reluctant. And so she left and she came home and she said, uh, all the way home in the car, she was crying. She was saying, Dad, I so badly wanted to raise my hand. I know God was talking to me. I know he wanted it, but I felt so. He said, she's out in the car now. She, and she wants to know, will you still pray for her? Can she come in? <laughs> so I said, yeah, of course she can come in. Go fetch her, bring her in. So he went out and he fetched his daughter and he, he brought her in and she gave her life to Christ. And we prayed together and she sobbed her little heart out. But because for the first time in her life, she realized God is real. And God knows her name. And God knows her story. And he knows what, what she's thinking. And for the first time in her life, she realized this isn't just a theory. This isn't an idea. This isn't a, this isn't a, you know, a, 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 a club. This is a reality. And God is real, and He knows me, and He loves me. Friends, and so it's the person of the Holy Spirit who brings the reality of God into the reality of our lives and makes the presence of God and the power of God a reality. And gosh, do we need that presence and that power if we are going to be effective in serving Jesus and fulfilling the mandate He's given us. Now, I believe that God would want us to live conscious of that presence. That abiding presence that He has poured out into our lives because it changes how we live. Like, have you ever been driving down the road, just minding your own business, going wherever you're going, 
and you glance up into the rearview mirror and you see immediately behind you a police car, like in the rearview mirror. Did you notice what effect that had on you? Like instantly you glance down at the speedometer to make sure that you're driving the speed limit. And you might even ease your foot off the accelerator so it goes like, you know, one kilometer below the speed limit just to be sure. And your mobile phone moves magically from your lap to the passenger seat without you even touching it. And all of a sudden you've got both hands on the wheel and you're checking your mirrors like you're doing your driving test. Like all of a sudden you, you transformed into the best driver Perth has ever seen. Because you suddenly became aware of this authority presence in your life. Now, now God's not a cosmic policeman. He's not kind of looking over your shoulder the whole time trying to catch you out. But he does want us to live conscious of his presence because it changes how we live. Now, there's a lot that we could say about living conscious of the presence of God. But there's a very particular something that I feel prompted by God to say this morning in relation to it. And it's this. That the presence of God's Spirit is the antidote to our fear. The presence of God's Spirit in our lives is His antidote to our fear. It's like I've told you before, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, I had a, a very bad kind of fear of the dark. And I would, I would see all sorts of things and um, have nightmares and wake up in the early hours of the morning and call out to my mom. And then my mom would come bleary-eyed into the room and and the moment she walked into the room, that fear would subside. Right? My son had a similar thing. He would, he would wake up in the, in the middle of the night when he was small, only he wouldn't yell from his bed. He would get up and he would walk to our room and he would come stand next to the bed. But he had this really kind of creepy practice of not saying anything or doing anything. He would just stand there, like staring at us. And you would be like, fast asleep at 2 o'clock in the morning and just suddenly become aware of this presence. And I'd be like, <laughs> you know, he scared the living daylights out of us. I'm like, what are you doing here? It's like, Dad, I'm scared. I'm thinking, well, I'm now scared too. <laughs> and sometimes we would like march him off back to his room and put a little nightlight on. But often if we were just too tired and could be bothered, we'd just let him jump in the bed. And he would just sleep in the middle between my wife and I. Because, because presence alleviates fear. It's like if you're walking down the alley at 2 o'clock in the morning in Northbridge. <laughs> I don't know why you would be, but if you were, you'd probably feel afraid, and rightfully so. But if you had John Cena on one side and Dwayne The Rock Johnson on the other side and Tim Phipps behind you, you would feel, <laughs> you would feel fine, right? You'd feel like, I'm okay. You'd even be confident because presence alleviates fear. And when you have the ultimate presence in your life, the presence of the Creator God, and you live conscious of that presence, it changes how you live. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the single most spoken command in Scripture is fear not. It's the one thing God has commanded His people more than anything else, Old and New Testament, fear not. And very often that command is accompanied with the words, for I am with you, or some derivative thereof. So, for example, in Joshua 1 verse 9, God comes to young Joshua, well, maybe not so young, mid-40s maybe. And he says to him, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Joshua here is standing on the border of Canaan. He's been mandated by God to go in and to lay hold of the land, to lead a military campaign and, and to take the land by conquest. The problem is he's got an army that's been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. 
that spent the previous 400 years in slavery. Hardly an army. No wonder Joshua's scared. I'd be scared too. God's given him this instruction to go and fight, but he doesn't really have a group who can fight. And so God comes to me and says, Joshua, I know this looks intimidating. I know this looks scary. I know you're afraid, but don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you wherever you will go. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking, Tim, you know what? I've got a meeting tomorrow morning, and I know, I know this is going to be a difficult meeting. This is a hard conversation. I'm nervous about it. I'm afraid about this meeting. But you know what God's saying to you this morning? Be strong and courageous. For I am with you wherever you go. Tim, I'm in this relationship that is really abusive, and I know I need to leave. I know I need to get out. But I'm so afraid that if I get out, that, that there are going to be consequences, and I don't know what the future is going to hold, and I don't know how to deal with the potential consequence. You know what God's saying to you? Hey, be strong and courageous, for I am with you wherever you go. And there's no doubt at some point in your life, God is going to ask you to do something that you are going to feel incapable of doing. He's going to ask you to go somewhere or say something or stand up for someone. And you're going to feel afraid. You're going to feel intimidated. But God wants you to know you can be strong and you can be courageous. Why? Because He is with you. His presence is in you. That inexhaustible, unlimited source of wisdom and knowledge and guidance and discernment and strength and power is not only around you, it is inside of you and it is with you wherever you go. King David of the Old Testament understood this well. He said in Psalm 23 verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God, I've learned not to be afraid. Because I've learned to live conscious of your presence. Now, the interesting thing about fear, of course, is that not all fear is bad. Like fear is actually a good thing, a natural thing, a normal thing. There's an element of fear that's actually there to protect you. So if you're walking through the forest and a bear steps out into the path, guess what? You're going to feel afraid. And rightly so. You should feel afraid. Because that's your body telling you there's a threat. Get out of there. So not all fear is bad. There's a normal, natural, healthy component of fear that we're supposed to live with. But there is another kind of fear that is unjustified, that is irrational, and that is incredibly debilitating. And it's that kind of fear that God wants us to live free from. The kind of fear that keeps you from doing what you know you ought to do, from being what you know God has called you to be. It's the kind of fear that keeps you from enjoying meaningful relationships. The kind of fear that keeps you from taking bold steps of faith. The kind of fear that keeps you from enjoying quality of life. And that kind of irrational, unjustified, debilitating fear is pervasive. And it's on the increase. In fact, I did some research into the, the, the nature of irrational fear. And I was stunned to discover that there are over 7,000 diagnosable irrational fears. 7,000 diagnosable, irrational fears that are leaving people completely incapacitated emotionally, relationally, socially. It's, it's a powerful thing. Now, some of them might be uh, you know, somewhat familiar to you. Let me, let me share some of them with you because some of them are, are downright bizarre. right? Some you'll, you'll recognize. Nyctophobia is the fear of the dark. Xenophobia is the fear of foreigners or strangers. Claustrophobia, the fear of confined spaces. Gerontophobia is the fear of old people. 
Paladophobia, the fear of bald people. <laughs> Defecalasiophobia, the fear of painful bowel movements. It's a thing. Alectorophobia, the fear of chickens. Ecclesiophobia, the fear of church. I'm assuming none of you <laughs> suffer from that fear. Otherwise, you'd be very distressed right now. Triscodecophobia, the fear of the number 13. And hippopotamonstrosis, cryptaliophobia, the fear of long words. <laughs> I get you not. It's, it's true. It's a thing. And that's just 10 out of 7,000. Right? And you can add to that the fear of the future and, and the fear of failure and the fear of the unknown and the fear of financial uncertainty. And what about the fear of death? Do you know that the fear of death holds so many people incapacitated and enslaved so much so that they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to face their own mortality. They don't want to talk about the limit on their life. They don't want to have that conversation because their hearts are gripped by the fear of death. Let me explain to you how fear works. In order for fear to be perceived to be um, a threat, in order for a threat to perceive to be real, it has to have two things, imminence and potency. In other words, it has to be both present and powerful if that threat is going to be considered um, real, if it's going to induce fear. So, for example, um, some of you may say fear snakes. How many of you fear snakes? Let me see your hand if you ever fear of snakes. All right, a few of you. But right now, you don't feel any fear of snakes because there are none imminent. There are none present that we know of. <laughs> if I want to look under your seat just to be sure. But there are no, no snakes present, no snakes imminent, so, so you don't feel any fear of snakes. Now, if I open up a box here this morning and I took out a dead snake and I put that dead snake on the ground, you would not feel any fear because even though the snake is present, it's not potent because it's dead. If, on the other hand, I took out a live snake and I released a live snake along the auditorium floor, then you would absolutely feel fear, right? Your heart would start beating and your shortness of breath and you'd feel, you'd feel panicked. Why? Because the snake is now both imminent and potent. It's both present and it's powerful. So when it comes to the issue of death, what God does in dealing with death is he simply removes the element of its potency. So all you need to do is just take out one of those two things. So he eliminates the element of potency. So that death no longer has power over us. Yes, death is still imminent in the sense that all of us still have to cross over the threshold from time into eternity. We all still have to walk through the doorway of death from this life into the next. Death is still imminent for all of us, but death is no longer potent for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Because Jesus, through his own death, burial, and resurrection, overcame death, and in triumphing over death, made it possible for you and I to receive the same gift that he received, a resurrection, eternal life. That's why he said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, will live. Because Jesus himself climbed into the ring with death. He took death on, and even though death knocked him down to the canvas on the three count, he got back up, and he took death on, and he beat death. 
And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your power? Scorn's been broken. The power of death has been broken. And so now all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, though they still have to deal with the imminence of death, no longer have to deal with the potency of death and therefore can live free from the fear of death. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. He says, since the children, meaning you and I, have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were were held in slavery by the fear of death. Friends, the good news is you do not need to fear death because the power of death has been broken and the sting of death has been removed, right? Heard a story about a, a man who was driving down the road with his daughter, a little 10-year-old daughter sitting on the front seat in the passenger side. And while they were driving, a bee flew into the car and was buzzing around on the dashboard. And the little girl was petrified and because uh, she was allergic to bees. And so she started to panic. And the bee landed on the dashboard, and the father, seeing his opportunity, reached over, and he grabbed the bee in his hand. And it stung him in the palm of his hand. And so he opened up his hand, and he showed his daughter. He said, look, you don't need to be afraid anymore, because the bee has stung me. Right? The, the, bee, the sting is in my hand. The bee can't sting you anymore. And friends, that is exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. He took the sting of death in himself. So that the sting of death can no longer affect you and affect me. Right? You can live free from the fear of death because Jesus has broken its power and he has liberated us from its hold. Right? And, and so the question this morning is, what, what fear is holding you back from doing what you know God's called you to do, from being what you believe God has called you to be? What fear is potentially keeping you from enjoying quality of life, from enjoying intimate relationships and friendships? What fear is keeping you up at night, causing you to cry into your pillow or to have to take sleeping tablets because you can't get to sleep by yourself? What fear is keeping you incapacitated? Friends, because God wants us to be free from that fear. Free from that fear so we can be and do all that he's called us to be and do. And I just sense this morning that God, by his Holy Spirit, is wanting to set some hearts free and some lives free. Because Paul said, we did not receive the spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. We have received the spirit of the living God. And God wants that revelation and realization to burn so brightly and strongly in your heart that that fear that has perhaps kept you incapacitated for so long just simply dissolves in the light of that truth and this morning i'm going to invite the band to come on up and to to join us we're going to sing a song together in a moment but before we do that i want to just take a moment to pray and i want to pray that this morning god by the power and the grace of his holy spirit is going to, to minister freedom freedom to your heart freedom to your life so that you can live free from the fear and I wonder if you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads closing your eyes for just a moment and just allowing God in the, in the sacredness and, and the holiness and the sanctity of this moment to just speak with your heart and speak with him this morning the question I want to ask is, is what would you do if you were not afraid 
What would you do if you were not afraid? Because very often that is the very thing you're supposed to do. Psalm 34 verse 4, David said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. And this morning, if you're in any way battling with any kind of debilitating fear, I believe that God wants to impart grace to accompany his truth this morning. Truth that sets free. So, Father, we come before your throne of grace. As you have invited us to do, and we come boldly and confidently, we come gratefully, God, knowing that you see us, you know us intimately, you know everything about us. There's nothing hidden from you. And I want to thank you that we can come without shame and without guilt, and we can present ourselves to you knowing that you love us, you care about us. And Father, I, I want to pray particularly this morning for anyone who might be battling and wrestling with debilitating fear, whether that's fear of financial uncertainty or fear of failure or fear of man or fear of the future or any kind of debilitating, irrational fear that for whatever reason has laid hold of their hearts and their minds and has kept them from being all that you have designed them to be and has kept them from enjoying the quality of life that you know, Lord, is their portion. Father, this morning we're asking for freedom. And if that's you this morning, you're saying, Tim, yeah, I've, I've battled maybe, maybe for years, maybe only for months, maybe for a short while. I've battled with fear. And I don't want to battle anymore. I want to live conscious of the presence of God. I want to know the liberating power of the Holy Spirit in my life, over my heart and over my mind. It'd be my honor and my privilege to pray for you today. And all we're going to do is simply put our hearts together in agreement. I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing. I don't want to draw unnecessary attention to you. But we are going to put our hearts in agreement together for you. We're going to come before God's throne of grace. And we're going to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit in you that your heart is liberated this morning. So to help me know who I'm praying for, if that's you, why don't you just raise up your hand for a moment and say, Tim, would you include me in this prayer right now? Because I need to know freedom. That's why I keep your hand up for a moment. Because this is between you and him. It's between you and him. Father, I thank you for every hand raised right now. Father, each one, a son and a daughter, deeply loved by you. I thank you that you know their life story. You know their journey. You know their fears. You know their traumas. You know their, their hopes, their aspirations, their desires. Nothing is hidden from you. And I thank you for that intimate knowledge. And Father, I pray this morning that you would come and envelop them in your love because perfect love drives out fear. I pray that you would give them the assurance that you are with them and that you are for them. And Father, that you are more than enough. You will always be more than enough. And I pray, Father, whatever it is that has kept them from enjoying the life that you have called them to, I pray that from this moment on, Father, they would know a freedom and a liberty like they've never known before. Father, I pray for, for, for peace, and I pray for rest, and I pray for deep sleep, and I pray for joy, and I pray for a lightness to enter their spirits again, Father. And I pray that they would be able to walk from this moment knowing something has shifted, something has changed. And Father, I pray that you would make them ever more conscious of your presence in them. I pray that you would show them signs. I pray that you would give them words. I pray that you would make yourself so real, so undeniably real to them, Father, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only are you with them, but you are in them and you are for them. And that you have said, whoever puts their faith and trust in you will never be put to shame. Now, Father, I pray that will be their portion in Jesus' name. And I pray that in the days and months to come, we would just hear story after story after story of how you have liberated their hearts from the slavery to fear. 
Freedom in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. We believe it and we receive it. And everyone who agreed said, amen, amen, amen. Well, let's stand up onto our feet. We're going to sing this morning as we go. And this morning we're going to sing this song. It's a declaration of faith. It's a declaration of our confidence in God. It's a declaration of His truth over our lives. So I want you to sing it with conviction and sing it with passion. I want you to give Him your undivided attention. And, uh, and just simply speak these words out to Him and speak these words out over your life. But let's sing it this morning as we raise our voices to our wonderful liberator and King Jesus. Amen. Let's sing it.